quotes Infused with the scent of potpourri Filled with commit to memory Crossing the felt ropes Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, and while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer, where you can find tons and tons of bonus audio content, including TV and book reviews, immediate reaction movie reviews, Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, and much, much more. Um, now that we're headed into awards season and kind of the end of the year uh, catch-up uh, viewing season um, on Patreon, I'm going to be starting in uh, an FYC potpourri series of episodes um, for the $5 and above member tiers. Uh, in those episodes, I'm going to be reviewing groups of movies I watched during the run-up to the IFJA Critics Group's awards deadline in December. So if this is your first time listening, I'm a member of the Indiana Film Journalists Association. Every year, the group gets together and uh, nominates and uh, selects winners for a bunch of different categories for our end-of-year um, awards. And so at the end of the year, I uh, watch as many movies as I can, nominate as many movies as I want to, and um, and hash it out with the group. So um, as part of that process, I'm going to be doing potpourri episodes where I take probably four movies um, uh, each episode and talk about them uh, as I watch them or after I watch them rather. So that is on Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I also have a ton of other stuff um, on there. So consider checking it out. I also have a Patreon shop on there where you can get individual things grouped together. So like I have my um, dark season one reviews all packaged together, Stephen King commentary tracks all packaged together, all of that stuff. So once again, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media, including Letterboxd at Obsessive Viewer. And today on the show, we're doing something a little bit different. Usually I have my co-host Tiny or one of our recurring co-hosts joining me, or I have a guest or two. Um, but I want to commit to doing weekly episodes of the show for as long as I can. So I'm going to kind of try to do that. Now that we're at now that we've reached the the milestone of 400 episodes, I'm going to try to do weekly installments, weekly episodes of the Obsessive Viewer podcast and uh as such in the weeks where I either can't uh secure another voice or a guest um or in the weeks that my schedule is limited, I'm going to just record solo episodes. So Consider it as kind of a new era for the podcast, and uh, we'll see how this goes. It could be a disaster. It could be very good. Who knows? But basically, um, that is the current direction of the Obsessive Viewer podcast. And each of those each of those weeks, it's probably going to be 
a like what we've been doing for years now at this point i'm gonna structure them as two probably two hopefully two new release movies um reviewed each episode with possibly a potpourri section at the end of the episode um usually the two uh, the two movies we review are going to be um one in theaters one uh, available on streaming uh we'll see how that works out or what have you but anyway that's what is going to be happening going forward on the obsessive viewer podcast i'm excited and uh yeah so welcome to the show in this week's episode episode 401 i'll be reviewing the new uh mcu movie um the 33rd movie in the marvel cinematic universe the marvels which is directed by nia DaCosta. um that is coming out in theaters this week and I'm going to be reviewing it in a non-spoiler and then a spoiler review. If you want to be wary of spoilers, check the show notes for timestamps. You can find those show notes in your podcast app or at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV401. And I will be concluding the episode with a review of Quiz Lady, which is a, a comedy that is currently streaming on Hulu. And yeah, so that's the rundown for the episode. That's what we're going to be doing this week on The Obsessive Viewer. And before we get to our reviews, um, I do have a couple of news pieces to bring up. Uh, really just one, uh, a couple of things. One is our old friend JP Leck. Uh, he of um, Shocktober fame. We, uh, years ago, we would do Shocktober and Irvington. JP always had a short film. He has this whole expansive, like, universe of novels and books and, 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 and comic books and short films and radio plays, all of these things. Um, he has a film that is out right now on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can rent it or buy it. It's called Circle City Supernatural. Um, and I highly recommend it just on the fact that it's JP like He is someone who is very passionate about his art and very passionate about the universe that he's created and all of the all of the things that he does it's great i actually had the honor of uh lending my voice um in in uh in in some of his work and i'm very very grateful for that so super or circle city supernatural uh, the plot summary is the calls to lindsay malins uh, late night paranormal radio show are going from strange to stranger as the people of circle city confront the supernatural in this halloween themed anthology so if you're in that kind of post october um halloween hangover zone check out Cir circle city supernatural um I, like I said, I'm just a huge fan of J.P. Leck. Uh, we love him here at The Obsessive Viewer, so uh, check out Circle City Supernatural. And the other piece of news that I have is something that I don't have a lot of... Um, a lot of detail about because it literally just broke like 45 minutes ago and all the details haven't actually been announced, but uh, the strike is officially over. SAG-AFTRA and the studios have reached a deal for uh, a tentative deal for a new three-year contract. I don't know the details of, of it. I don't think those details have been announced yet or anything, but basically if all goes as planned as of this recording tonight at midnight Pacific time, um, the, the new deal is going to be enacted. Everything is going to be like the strike will be over. People will be able to get back to work, um, immediately, uh, almost immediately it seems. And, uh, things should get back to normal over in Hollyweird. So, 
Um, that is exciting. We haven't really done anything in terms of covering the strike or talking about the strike. Frankly, it's stuff that is not necessarily over my head, but it's just, it's with these things, they go on for so long that it just runs, you kind of run out of, um, things to talk about with it and everything. And plus I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm over trying to explain to people, like why labor strikes like this matter because like i am aware of people being like well you know why do why are all the rich hollywood assholes being uh like gatekeeping their work or whatever like why are they why are they disrupting it and everything it's because they're not getting paid adequately like it's not like it's not rocket science like it's not like not every actor in sag aftra is tom cruise not every actor is chris pratt or any other person who has questionable religious <laughs> leanings but it's it like they're, they're not all millionaires and billionaires like get your head out of your ass like it's ridiculous um there are people that w- like work as actor like are working actors who cannot like it's it's a whole thing i don't want to go on a tangent but anyway the strike is over hopefully uh hopefully it's a good deal for them and uh hopefully hopefully everything kind of pans out over there um i would i i will say and this is something that is um i don't know i don't know i don't know what it'll be but basically i i haven't been someone who has thought like okay well um should i should should we stop covering new movies on the podcast or on the website or on like social media or anything in solidarity with the strike. I am not someone who fell into that kind of line of thinking specifically because the people who kind of think that like the, the people who are more prone to, to being someone who is, who is going to be like crossing the picket line, um, for the studios in that regard are the people who are who who would have been offered to go to premieres and cover premieres and everything in 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 place of actors like it's not the same as you know in my eyes it's not the same as getting like screener uh, going to a press screening for a movie as it's about to be released that's not the same as promoting the movie because you're literally just covering the movie um and i say that but it's I did have the thought. I saw, I went to a press screening last night for the Marvels, which is why I'm recording this now. Um, And I had the thought today. I was like, you know, I, you know, the embargo lifts today. I uh, am planning on recording an episode of the podcast, but I should throw something up on TikTok, just giving my thoughts and everything. And then I thought, um, I see, here's the thing. So I have been making a lot of TikToks. And the the username on TikTok is OV Podcasts. Go follow it, please, and and share my stuff and like it and everything. I do a whole bunch of stuff there. But anyway, um, I'm fairly new to TikTok, and I it, a part of me is a little afraid of getting canceled. Not canceled per se, but getting like getting like if something goes viral of mine, I don't want it to be for someone dragging me for any number of reasons. Like that's just something I don't want to happen. And I just had this thought when I when I was thinking about making a TikTok video about the Marvels. I was thinking like, what if this is construed as promoting the movie for Marvel Studios 
in while the while the actors are on strike like what if this is construed that way and is that which is a, a ridiculous thing to think but i don't know i've seen people dragged for less and uh gain a, a level of notoriety for less i guess but i don't know tiktok is weird i don't it's a it's a weird beast it's something i'm enjoying the content that i'm making on there but i don't know like i'm enjoying the content that i'm making on there and super not enjoying the fact that they always get like 230 views and then nothing uh so anyway follow me on tiktok you guys i would really really appreciate it and uh and share it around so um so that's all the news that i have um and all the tangents i have up top here so uh let's go in to my first review of the evening which is for the marvels like i said i'm going to be doing a non-spoiler review and then transition over to a spoiler review uh during which i will play a clip from the trailer uh to signal that i'm going into spoilers um if you want to navigate timestamps like i said uh um, obsessiveviewer.com slash ov401 so the Marvels. Like I said, it is the 33rd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, the plot summary courtesy of IMDb is Carol Danvers gets her powers entangled with those of Kamala Khan and Monica Rambeau, forcing them to work together to save the universe. Uh, director for this movie was Nia DaCosta, who previously directed Candyman in 2021, and writers were Nia DaCosta, Megan McDonnell, and Alyssa uh, Karasek. And the cast includes, of course, Brie Larson, Tiana Paris, Iman uh, Villani, Samuel L. Jackson, and Zowie Ashton. Um, that is the rundown for the Marvels. It is currently in theaters as of this weekend. And let me go ahead and talk about it in non-spoilers. And I will say up front that I did post an immediate reaction review on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Uh, that is my 47th, I think, um, immediate reaction recording I've done this year. I do immediate reaction recordings, uh, for basically any new release movie that I see in, uh, throughout the year. It was my 44th um, immediate reaction recording this, this year. So check that out. That's at the $2 level. Anyway, um, my expectations going in to the Marvels, um, I was not that excited. And I say that as someone who enjoyed Captain Marvel quite a bit and someone who finds the concept of this like entanglement of powers pretty interesting and i found it like from judging from the trailers i thought that it would have been a really interesting way to uh to kind of swap out powers and everything or swap swap people in 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 action set pieces um but still ever since endgame I feel like the MCU has just been, and this is a common thing, I'm sorry if I'm just rehashing common internet um, uh, internet rhetoric and everything, but basically, since Endgame, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been struggling. And I say that as someone who was interested, very interested in the multiverse saga as like the hope of it, the dream of it, the potential of it. And I feel like throughout this entire year, I have just been just so 
disengaged with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The exception being Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which I loved and will likely make my top 10 list at the beginning of the year. Um, But I have not felt a push to watch any of the Disney Plus stuff. I have not, like, I'm still washing the kind of bad taste of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania out of my mouth because that movie, I had such high hopes for it because I thought that Kang the Conqueror was going to be the focal point of the movie, which he kind of was, and I was hoping that it would be the big introduction of him, but it just felt... It, it felt like the like the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't know what it's doing with the multiverse saga and the multiverse concept. And that's what I can't get away from. And other entries in these like past phases of uh, the multiverse saga, I mean, Thor Love and Thunder, it was all borderline terrible. Like I it, it was it was horrible. It was really, really bad. And like I like another kind of exception is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but even then, I think that it's a combination of a the Marvel machine pumping out way too much content post Endgame between Disney Plus series and uh, uh, mediocre or subpar film entries. Just I mean, just here alone this year we've got. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, we've got uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, now the Marvels, we also had Secret Invasion, I think was late last year, I'd never watched it, we have Loki Season 2, I still haven't watched that, um, we just are inundated with a lot of stuff, and some of the stuff doesn't doesn't like, doesn't play in or factor into the multiverse stuff, other things factor into the multiverse storytelling but it always seems like the multiverse part of it is periphery it is secondary or it is not the focal part of it so movies like multiverse of madness and spider-man no way home those kind of stand out because they play into the multiverse um concept and make it the focal point but movies like ant-man and the wasp quantumania they don't like, like the concept is there, but it's more (laughs) like, I remember going, like coming out of Quantumania and thinking that, yeah, okay, so James Gunn is leaving, Guardians of the Galaxy is like kind of being sent off with volume three. So now Marvel Studios wants to have something else that is like the, the kind of Star Wars aesthetic for the MCU. So they just created the entire, uh, whatever, whatever it's called. I don't even know. Subatomic place. Um, I don't remember because we've been inundated with so much stuff from the Marvel, from the Marvel machine that it's just hard to keep track of it, hard to keep interest in it. And so it's just, it's a bummer. It's, it's really a bummer because they did so well with the Infinity Saga, not to say it was perfect, but they ended it as perfectly as they could, in my opinion, that like Endgame is still just the crown crown crowning achievement in marvel studios but um yeah so all of that's to say that and and here's the thing i've i've ranted and i've ranted and said all of this stuff and i just as i was about to transition into my next point i remembered that eternals exists like that movie did nothing for me and it just it's it's just so weird to me that 
this this juggernaut of a shared universe can crumble so quickly um and just like at the turn of a turn of a a door frame basically into the multiverse uh, saga like it's just it feels like there's no cohesion there's no coherent like um template or not even template but outline like it just feels like they're just throwing multiverse stuff at the wall to make it seem like you know multiverse storytelling um it doesn't seem like there is a cohesive thing whereas with like the infinity saga we had like a set number of infinity stones that we knew were out there and thanos was looking for we would get little bits and pieces of thanos that some of them didn't really connect or didn't really make much sense but it was still present throughout each entry and a lot of those entries it like directly related to one of the infinity stones which is great that was that was good that was effective now they're going into multiverse stuff which is huge expansive it is it is massive and it just feels like there's nothing to ground it into making it co- cohesive among everything um, that they're doing and it just feels like it feels like vignettes that don't connect to anything uh, at all together it's just it's weird I don't like it so anyway all that's to say didn't really have too high of hopes for for the Marvels um, and uh, I had also read that there was issues with the uh, production um, from what I heard, uh, uh, per variety, I think it was in that big write-up about the MCU, but, uh, I'm quoting here from IMDb, um, director Nia DaCosta left during post-production with the film still months from completion to begin pre-production on her next film, Hedda. And that is something that is in addition to her not being present for post-production or, or for a a size of post-production. Um, I believe that the strikes happened and, uh, it prevented them from doing like reshoots and everything. So I went into this movie kind of expecting a kind of a train wreck, to be honest, that in addition to the announcement that the runtime was an hour and 45 minutes, it is the shortest MCU film, um, to date, that made me a little bit hesitant. So that's the frame of mind I came into. I was kind of expecting a mess, especially since like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I thought one of the big issues with that movie was just, it looked atrocious in some scenes. Like the visual effects were clearly not finished or up to par. And a lot of that is due to Disney, like infamously like underpaying or or working their vf vfx team like very very uh very hard and putting unrealistic expectations on them so of course they're going to receive an inferior product because it's just not possible for them to work under those conditions and with those deadlines so with productions being stretched thin and or post-production being stretched stretched thin and uh and uh encountering issues with striking uh workforces and everything i was expecting the marvels to be a train wreck and i will say i and here here we go with my actual thoughts on the movie 23 minutes into the episode um I I actually quite enjoyed it. I thought it was very, very, uh, very pleasant. I was very pleasantly surprised with how enjoyable this was. It was much better than I expected. It is this very um, energetic and, and despite some pretty dark things that happen, 
it is kind of this light and fluffy sort of entry in the MCU. It is this kind of fun, um, there's this fun sense of wonderment to it that I think works really, really well and, and surprisingly well because we've gone through in the MCU so many things, so much like trauma um, in particular, like this is one of the things that I, that the, one of the standouts of, not even standouts of, of Eternals, but one of the things that I can remember about Eternals is that I remember having the thought that like, yeah, okay, this is interesting that when they talk about the blip in, in the, uh, in the MCU, like this is a, this is a, a universal like trauma that everyone in this universe has experienced. And, that is something that is very, very dark and very um, bleak, really. And having that kind of be be something that is uh, positioned going into the next phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's clearly going to lead to some pretty dark storytelling, some pretty bleak things. Like WandaVision, for as as energetic and kind of whimsical and fantasiful, fantiful, I don't know, fantasy aspects of it, Um, as wonderful and literally wonderful or what have you, as WandaVision was at its heart. It is a very dark story. It is a very bleak story about this woman grieving um, and and how she's processing what happened in in Infinity War. Um, And and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's bleak. It's bleak. So to have the Marvels, while it does have some very dark stuff in it, um, have it be this light and, and fun, energetic thing, it's kind, it kind of feels like um, it, it feels like a breath of fresh air, honestly. It, it really does. Like even Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 had some very, very um, heavy themes to it as well. So having this be about like three superheroes teaming up one of which like i like here's the thing also right up top i will say that one of my other res- reservations about this movie was i was afraid that i would have had to have watched uh, secret invasion and ms marvel because i hadn't seen either of those shows i am here to tell you that it is very fortunate that you do not need to have those shows in your mind like they don't they don't they don't factor into the plot. They do a nice like recap that's pretty pretty evocative and cool um, at the beginning of the movie. That kind of that kind of reintroduces us to Ms. Marvel, um, and then the the Nick Fury stuff doesn't doesn't uh, really reference that I could detect Secret Invasion at all. So um, so you don't need to know what happens in those shows. Um, so so that's that's a relief, but. Um, the energy of it, that light and fluffy energy is what I keep saying for some reason, but that that energy is so refreshing, specifically because we're coming off of, like I said, all of the bleak trauma of the blip and, and endgame and everything. So, yeah, it's just, it's really, really uh, energetic here. And the brisk pace of it, it's an hour and 45 minutes. It does, it even, it, it does kind of feel a little bit long in parts, even, even, uh, even at that runtime. 
but it is structured pretty well, in my opinion. Um, especially when it comes to the entanglement of the powers and everything, it's pretty well structured in terms of introducing the concept by having this chaotic, ex like, uh, this chaotic kind of, um, discovery of their powers being entangled. So all three of them are in different places, like across space. And like it's, it happens when they use their powers simultaneously, they swap. And so we have like, like a teenager from Jersey, uh, like suddenly in space. And it's, it's, it's really interesting the way it explores that chaotic way that they discover it and everything. That's really fun, um, and entertaining. And then from there, like they work through it, they figure out like there's the whole, there's a whole plot and everything, obviously that they need to do. There's a villain that they need to defeat all of that. I'll get to that in my review shortly, but, um, when they work through what is happening to them and what can happen with them um, and how they can enter, like, entangle their their powers and everything, it's a really good escalation because it, there, it introduces some good variety of it because at first we have, like, the first act, we have that chaotic uh, discovery of the entanglement and then we have them haphazardly working through it in a kind of improvised way. And then we have later in the movie them working together as a team. And it's really cool. It's really inventive. Um, uh, there's some pretty good utilizations of that. Um, also, Miss Marvel as a character, her powers... Um, like in in like in the movie there um the they describe their all of their powers having to do with light like i, I don't know uh monica rambo can see light or something i don't know but anyway um uh kamala khan she can manipulate light and create matter with it so the way that her powers are utilized in it feels a lot like uh, like I laughed about this cause I mentioned it on Patreon, but, uh, it, it's a lot like Frozone in the Incredibles, like just using like you, like creating matter and like waves and stuff and things that she can glide on and, and, uh, and slide down and everything. It's really cool. I, it's just, it's this free flowing kind of, uh, well choreographed, um, uh, utilization of the powers that I really enjoyed. And it's, it's an interesting balance to strike with that because when you have a, a teenage character, she's in high school in this movie. When you have this teenage character in these big like set pieces where, you know, the movie has to communicate that she is potentially in mortal danger, obviously. Um, but also have it be this fun, like, oh, teenager thing. Um, that's an interesting balance to strike. And I think the, the movie does a good job of doing that. Like I never felt like, like incredibly like scared for her or anything, although she is put into very perilous situations that I really, I, I think it was a good balance. Um, in terms of that choreography and fight, fight, uh, stunt design and everything, um, I do think that the camera movement was a little bit erratic in some places, so much so that just occasionally, like this was maybe two or three parts, it just felt like a little bit hard to um, to to recognize like what was happening and in terms of like to keep track of it. So it was a little bit erratic. I kind of wish that it would have been a little bit more stabilized there in terms of camera movement and keeping an eye on like the action that's on that's on screen. Um, but that's a minor complaint there. Um, some other things about this movie that I, um, 
didn't like I'll 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 talk more about them in the spoiler review of course but it did feel like to okay to the movie's credit it didn't feel as hampered in post-production as I expected it to be that's what I mean when I say that I expected it to be a train wreck is that I expected I expected the movie not to have like the best or most coherent things in in the like in in the initial cut and then not having the resources in post-production to tidy it up maybe that's why some of that choreography didn't work for me and was a little bit erratic for me but on a bigger scale I was expecting it to be like nonsensical just like cutting corners in the editing because they didn't have the resources or anyone to to do anything to really tidy it up there's a little bit of that. There is just a, t- a little bit of that. There are a couple of big things in, in the kind of end of the movie that I felt like on one hand, one thing was it, it, it is extremely shoehorned in and it just sticks out like a sore thumb and it kind of just feels a little bit, a little bit out of place and not adequately set up. And then the other thing is like, it is it is kind of comical how silly it is in terms of the resolution of certain plot lines and how conflicts are resolved in this movie. It feels like it's a little bit empty. Like I'll 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 expand on that a lot in spoilers and be more specific, but I think that there were some narrative issues in this movie that um that it just it kind of made me laugh in a couple of very inopportune moments and at the expense of some uh, some very big events in the movie that should have had more impact but didn't have that much impact for me um because it just it just didn't land for me it felt very very silly because it didn't connect the resolution of those things didn't connect or weren't or were left kind of unfinished or un um yeah unfinished really so those are those are some some of the issues i had as far as the villain is concerned played by uh, zawi uh, ashton um i enjoyed this villain and i say that kind of with an asterisk um, I'm in a weird place with this villain. I can't remember her name, but she basically her whole thing is that she is a uh, Cree who is uh she's very angry with Captain Marvel because of the state of her home planet, the the Cree's home planet um that she's from. So she is on this kind of vendetta against Captain Marvel, who she calls the Annihilator, but she has a deeper thing. She's trying to preserve her planet. Um, her name is Darben. Um, and so she's trying to preserve her planet. And by doing that, she's basically uh, uh, taking resources from other planets. The way that this is represented is pretty interesting and and unique and cool. Uh, I don't know if I would say unique. Honestly, I don't know if I would say unique. Um, I should take that back because it is very reminiscent of the the blue sky beam issue that was in all the comic book movies, uh, like in the early phases of of the MCU and across the board, any any comic book movie, like the blue beam sky thing. Um, it's kind of similar to that, but it's just a resource based thing. So. 
it's interesting. I like the motivation. I think that it's interesting that we're dealing with a character who is, she's a villain. She's willing to kill and decimate and everything, but it is all in service of her people that she's leading. And it is from this, this vendetta and, and vindictive, uh, ideology that she has, that she holds on to at least, uh, from her experience with Captain Marvel, which is, it's interesting stuff. What I also appreciate, and I think that this is due to the hour and 45 minute runtime, is that the movie doesn't hamper, like, does, doesn't occupy too much time really diving into the character, uh, the characterization of, of her, um, and I know that that maybe sounds a little blasphemous, but it also kind of, it kind of harkens back to earlier, like phase one and phase two Marvel Cinematic Universe, but in a more positive way, because those early movies, there was a consistent problem of villains being kind of plain and and um, a little a little light, basically, and not being well, um, well, well designed or well um drawn in terms of characterization and motivation and everything like there was a little bit of that but i i always had a hard time kind of buying into it that's one of the reasons why infinity war in my opinion was phenomenal because that is a thanos movie and you know everything that he wants to do um and you know all of his motivations you know his pain you know his specific like psychosis and everything it's great um here with this character she is she is kind of similar to Thanos in that respect, but also she like she has like a specific goal. So that is that's respectable, that's good, that's that's solid. Um she also is I, I believe she, like she has like Ronan the accuser's like staff and everything that she uses as a weapon. Um so she's kind of reminiscent of that uh that character from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Um of course her being a, a Kree is also uh helpful to that cuz I think that that's the same species that Ronan the Accuser was. Um but anyway, so the other thing that I really liked about about the villain and something that I wish would have been more present in the movie was and this is strictly like an aesthetic thing, but uh her home planet of Hala. Um she is like the scenes where we see her kind of in her home planet on her home planet. This is a planet that the sun is burning out. It's, it's very, very limited resources. Air isn't breathable or anything, but just like the shots of this, of, of the entire planet and the people in it was so dark and gloomy, but it also was so reminiscent of like the, the set design and, and the production design of like Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, that kind of, uh, that kind of dark and, and I don't know if I say grungy, but kind of like, uh, kind of, I don't know, dark and rainy, not even rainy cause it's droughty here, but it's very dark and, and misty basically, not even misty. I don't know, foggy, but anyway, it's kind of like Blade Runner 2049. If, like there were no like neon lights or anything. It's just very dark and I don't know. The the design was really cool. That's really what I'm getting at. Um, so I appreciate that the villain wasn't wasn't overwritten or over um situated or anything. Like we know her, we know her powers, we know her goals, and we know why she needs to be stopped, and we know where she's gonna be, where where the team is gonna intercept her and everything, which is 
one of my other issues with the movie. There is an extended sequence, and I'll expand on it in spoilers, of course, but there's an extended sequence about halfway through the movie where the team goes to a planet um, that the inhabitants of that planet, like I, I will just say there, it becomes a musical. Um, there is like a musical number because the planet's inhabitants, their chief language is through song. And it's a bizarre set piece and it's a bizarre environment. Um, and there's some character stuff with Captain Marvel there that is interesting, I guess, but it also just feels kind of out of place and it doesn't really land like the not necessarily whimsical portion of it, but it's like it's this it's this weird like over the top thing that doesn't really mesh well with the with the with the style that has been present. It's it's almost like James Gunn was was on was on hand to give notes for how to do this particular section of the movie. Um, and it's just, and it's, it's weird. It's, it's a weird outlier for the movie. And the fact that it comes so soon after like a big, like dramatic set piece, um, feels a little bit, a little bit discombobulating there. Um, and then also the resolution of that just didn't work for me. I'll talk about that in spoilers, of course. Um, yeah. So, um, I will say that as a fan of cats, uh, Goose the cat is is enjoyable in this movie. I did see a meme that was going around that was like, um, it's happened again, and it shows uh the Goose poster for Captain Marvel and then the Goose poster for the Marvels, and it's very very clearly a different orange cat uh, that's been cast in it. So it, it was like a side by side of those two posters and. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and like Terrence Howard and, um, uh, Don Cheadle, uh, as Rhodey, um, kind of side by side. So that was pretty funny, but, um, I will say that I, all cats are beautiful. So, <laughs> I, but I will say that I kind of prefer the, the Captain Marvel version of Goose, but, uh, Goose in this movie is fun. Um, he doesn't steal the limelight too much or anything, but there is some pretty interesting, fun utilizations of the Flurgan power, um, uh, at hand there. Um, another thing that I can touch on in non-spoilers is that the family of Kamala Khan is like, her parents are fun. And I, and I like that there is this kind of, um, fun comedic back and forth with them and like Fury and them and Captain Marvel and Monica Rambeau. Um, because at the heart of it, it's all them being concerned about Kamala's, uh, safety because, because of the entanglement, she needs to be with Monica in Captain Marvel as they go across the galaxy to save the universe, basically. Um, and it's, it's all like, that's really well done. I think that that's really fun and interesting and enjoyable and entertaining. Her brother though, like I don't know. I'll have to go back and watch Ms. Marvel, but the, the, his performance, I don't even want to dog the guy's performance or anything, but basically, um, anytime he did like his like comedic thing, like eight out of 10 times, it didn't work for me. Like it just felt very forced and, and it didn't really land for me the way that the movie wanted it to land for me. 
So that was a little bit of a ding um, on on the movie for me. Um, nothing against that actor, just it just didn't land for me. So I may be exhausting my non-spoiler review. Um, overall, I rated this movie three stars out of five. Um, with a heart on Letterboxd. Follow me on Letterboxd, the Ad Obsessive Viewer. Um, and yeah, I, I do think that it's an enjoyable movie. It's not something that is really going to bring me back into being like a big Marvel fanboy or anything, because I kind of think that that ship kind of sailed with really Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, but I mean, I'll see all the movies, of course, but I just, it's just, it's not hooking me anymore. And I don't know if part of that is me being, you know, a, a grown up now or, <laughs> or just being older um, or what, but it's just not doing it for me. So I don't know. But on Letterboxd, I wrote, uh, here's my blurb that I wrote. Uh, better than I expected it to be. It's more on the light and fun side of the MCU with the three stars sharing strong chemistry and bringing good energy uh, to a relatively more briskly paced movie. Some things didn't work for me. There's a place the Marvels travel to at one point that includes a bizarre gimmick that doesn't really land. Certain big, big events throughout the movie are either left unresolved or come up suddenly with no time to really ponder their implications or feel the tension the movie wants you to feel. Still, it's an enjoyable MCU movie, which at this stage of the multiverse saga is a breath of fresh air. And so I know that that basically reiterates a lot of stuff that I have already said, but nonetheless, it's what I said on there. And the other thing that I didn't even touch on in, in the non-spoiler stuff, um, was that, um, uh, Amon Valeni, Valeni, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing her name and I, I greatly apologize, apologize with my voice cracking, but, um, this is her debut film. She, this is her first, first, uh, feature film. Um, she was of, of course in Miss Marvel, but she was phenomenal. She was great. And one of the things that like in, at the outset of the movie that I was nervous about was I was very, very nervous that the whole shtick of her being like a massive Captain Marvel fan, I was really worried that that was going to wear thin incredibly quickly. Um, because it's just right from the outset. It's like, clearly like her, she's a teenager. Like her room is adorned with a bunch of Captain America sweat or Captain Marvel swag. And like, she's writing like fan fiction and stuff. That's part of where the really fun, like visual kind of, um, catch, catch up the audience segment is, um, it's kind of this comic book, uh, um, comic book, uh, visualization. That's really interesting and fun. Um, but throughout the movie, she is just continuously starstruck by Captain Marvel. And that's something that I was afraid was going to be like overbearing and overdone. And to both her credit and to Brie Larson's credit, and also to Tiana Paris's care, uh, um, um, uh, um, what is the credit? Um, and the, in the movie overall, that never wears thin. It's always fun. It's always entertaining. It's always something interesting and, and it's well, well placed in the scenes. Furthermore, it is also something that kind of binds the trio together. And it's something that I think is really interesting about this movie. And one of the reasons why it stands out a bit is that we have Kamala Khan being starstruck and incredibly like fan fangirling out over Captain Marvel. Meanwhile, we have Monica Rambeau, who 
grew up idolizing Captain Marvel from a young age. It was, she was her aunt, her, uh, uh, her aunt, uh, Carol, uh, growing up and everything. And then Captain Marvel leaves when Monica Rambo is a young girl and never comes back. So, so that is something that there's like tension between Monica Rambo and Captain Marvel. And also there is that just that background of, of Monica Rambo idolizing Captain Marvel the same way that Kamala Khan is idolizing her and everything. And then if they like those two separate kind of character traits for, for Monica and Kamala are further kind of, they, they further kind of in like rich enriching. Is that a word? I don't know. <laughs> further, uh, make, uh, Captain Marvel's character arc, uh, sing a bit louder and, and and works a lot better because throughout the movie, and it's not just here, it's also with her relationship with the Skrulls and the Kree and with Nick Fury, everything, there is like this through line throughout the movie that's about like what Captain Marvel means to like the universe. And it's represented in her, uh, the way that, the way that, uh, Monica idolized her as a child, the way that Kamala is currently idolizing her and how the kind of pressure of that weighs on Captain Marvel. Now, this is all stuff that is not, in my opinion, is unfortunately not explored really with, with as much depth as I would like it to, but for a mega budget MCU movie backed by Disney, like, we got we got a fair amount of characterization in this movie in that respect so i can't fault it too much but i did i did like detect that there and i really felt like that was something that i wasn't expecting at all um and i think that that's an interesting counter to the idea of um like the kind of common idea of Captain Marvel being overpowered. Um, it's one of the reasons, like one of the issues um, going into Endgame was like, why doesn't Captain Marvel just come down and just like kill Thanos? Cause she's like super powered. Like she has like so much more power than all the Avengers and everything. So uh, with vision, vision is well, uh, by that point, vision was gone. But anyway, um, so anyway, uh, I thought that that uh, that was an interesting angle for for the Captain Marvel character in, in this movie, and I think that it was done as well as it as well as it was ever as it was ever going to be explored. So, I really enjoyed that. So, that should do it for my non spoiler review. Um, those are my thoughts on the Marvels and non spoilers. Like I said, I rated it three stars on Letterboxd. Follow me on there at Obsessive Viewer. And uh, also follow me on TikTok at OV Podcasts and uh, consider signing up for Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm going to go into my spoiler review of the Marvels. Uh, and to do that, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer. So stay tuned. After this clip, I'm going to be uh, spoiling the Marvels. She's destroying every place I call home and taking powers from us. I don't fix this. It will be the end of everything. You got this. I'm asking Monica. for one last fight. All right, so spoilers on for the Marvels. Um, 
let's talk about this movie. There is there are a couple of issues that I have that I wanted to expand upon and everything. One of which being how empty um, some of the big issue or one of the big set pieces um, are with it. So I don't know how much I'm going to go into or how in depth I'll go with the spoiler section of this. So uh, kind of winging it here. So we'll see. But one of the big things that I had that was an issue in this movie was the fact that, first of all, just just the whole the whole part where like the reveal that Captain Marvel is married to a prince on this planet where they sing to talk was just kind of out there and and weird. That's that's kind of what my big uh one of one of the big not not necessarily big sticking points I had with the movie was, but basically it took me out of the movie. It wasn't too de- it didn't detract too much, but it just made me roll my eyes a little bit because it felt like the tone of that um, was a little bit too comedic for a movie that already established its style of comedy in terms of it being this, like, this kind of comedic take on, like, like fans, not, not fan service, but, like, fandom of, like, real people and stuff. Like, Kamala Khan is a great vessel for the comedy of the movie because she is so awestruck by Captain Marvel. And that plays in really well because... She then has to learn how to work with Captain Marvel. And so that's where the, a lot of the comedy stems from, is her kind of saying, like, kind of uh, kind of goofy things on reflex and everything and being starstruck. It never got old for me. It was great. And then suddenly we're on this planet where, where the, everyone sings to talk, and it just felt just so gimmicky and weird and out of place, and it just did not, it did not land for me. Um, so that was, that was kind of strike one with that segment of the movie. Strike two is that I, I, I love the idea of, of Darbin, um, taking resources from planets. I love that idea. I think that's very good. That's very solid. Um, I really like that idea. I think it's explored pretty well. Um, I like how, (laughs) I like how not lazy, but how kind of straightforward it is that it's just like, okay, well they took, she took air from this planet. So she's going to take water from somewhere else. Oh, it happens to be the planet that I am the princess of and everything. And there's people that I care about there. Um, which makes sense too, because it's 99.96% water or whatever, but that's fine. So, um, I like the idea of her taking, like literally just taking the resources. Like that's, that's, that's good. That's solid. I even like the set pieces on that planet, the action set piece where this is the first time that the team is really working together with their like power entanglement and everything. And I like the moments where like Kamala Khan, she is a teenager. Like I said, she's a teenager. So like when, when, uh, Captain Marvel tells her like, Hey, don't use your powers. Um, unless we're like entangling each other and everything. Um, she still like does it and and it's like a reflex thing. Um, that more so happened on the scroll kind of planet, uh, hiding planet basically. Um, and, and that was really cool and interesting, which I'll talk about, but here on the singing planet, um, I enjoyed the set piece, the the conflict, the the battle with uh, with Darben and all of the people there. What I what I would say is probably my my the worst part of the movie for me was the fact that that planet is never 
is never is never returned to is never referenced again they leave the planet um kamala uh kind of makes the executive decision to to uh have them go through the jump point and then they crash on another planet and they have that little like uh heart to heart and everything and where captain marvel is uh, is kind of taking down a peg or two and she is um she's coming to terms with what what happened and and her ineffectiveness at preventing what happened but it's like that planet's gone like like that planet is just done and they just left it there and like and i'm not saying like the marvels left it there i mean they did but my problem is the movie leaves it there. There's no, like, there's no coming back to that. There's no resolution to that. There's no, like, it's just, it's just done. And, like, that just felt so sloppy. And it felt like such a weird thing for the movie to do to basically have this big, big set piece that involves the decimation of an entire planet. And then we move on to the next part of the movie. Like that just felt very weird. Like even the scroll, um, the scroll sequence where she took—I uh, think that's where she. Yeah, that, I think that's where she took the air from. Um, that sequence had like the admittedly kind of perfunctory um, scene with uh, Valkyrie's cameo and everything. That was another thing. Okay, let me let me gripe about this a little bit too. So, um. So like, uh, like that had that resolution, that, that whole thing, that was interesting. That was fun or not fun, but that was, that was something that worked for me was that, you know, they evacuated as many as they could, but unfortunately they couldn't evacuate near anyone, like a very small amount of people. Um, the scrolls are already like very pissed and like they, like they've lost any faith in Captain Marvel. Um, it, it's on, they are ending it on bad terms. And then Captain Marvel's solution is like, okay, well, Valkyrie has some, um, history, like has some experience with this kind of, this kind of thing. She'll help you guys out and everything. And then we're going to go after, uh, uh, go after Darbin and, and work to, uh, stop her and everything that at least has like a resolution to that scroll plot line. Whereas the singing planet that I don't remember the name of it, um, that just doesn't get resolved in any fashion. And it sucks because like, because that, that planet has like a character that, that Captain Marvel cares about. Even if it's a marriage of convenience, she is still like, she is still an entity within that, like that society and everything she's respected. And like, I just don't understand why the movie just abandons all of that. Like it just, it's so, it's so frustrating, um, and annoying, but back to the scroll thing though. Um, as much as I enjoyed that, I thought that that whole set piece of evacuating them in a hurry, trying to save them and failing so many of them, that was an emotional, like, like just gut punch in the movie for me. I thought that was really well done. And then when the refugees from the planet are aboard the ship and they're about to go to, uh, to, uh, to, to, uh, new, oh God, I can't remember. Um, uh, new Thor place, um, <laughs> new, new Asgard, um, with Valkyrie and everything. Like, I just had this thought that like, yes, that is well done. It's good. It's solid. It's, it's dark. It's, it's sad. It's emotional and everything. 
but it's also the same damn thing that they did in Thor Ragnarok. Like it's it's the same thing. It is the exact same thing. A decimated like planet or 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 land and refugees going to like like it's the same thing. It is just a repeat of that. It's so while I do think that the emotion of it landed for me, I just felt like it's a little bit repetitive within the MCU and that was a little bit annoying for me. The other thing that I kind of wish would have been more um, explored a little bit more fully goes back to the the idea of Captain Marvel as as like the central character of this movie dealing with her kind of stature within the universe and everything as it relates to Kamala Khan's uh, fan fandom of her and uh, Monica Rambeau's history with her. And how people view her across across the galaxy and everything. I there's a moment where Kamala says to a little girl, like, don't worry, Captain Marvel will save everyone, I promise. And I wish that that was delved into a little bit more. I wish that that was explored a little bit more because the camera kind of shoots a look at at uh, Captain Marvel or or points to Captain Marvel looking at her as Kamala is telling her this. And I kind of wish that. I wish that there was maybe one scene where Captain Marvel's like, hey, um, I know your heart's in the right place, but maybe don't, you know, promise this girl that everything's like, I'm going to save everyone because I don't know that I will. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm fallible. I'm a person and everything. Um, we're about to go massacre my husband's planet. Um, <laughs> you'll see. But <laughs> I kind of wish that there was a little bit more, more done with that on a character level. Um, but that's a minor, that's a minor complaint. It's not even, it, it's it's, it's minor in, in that, uh, in that, on that front. Um, so the singing planet was my biggest hangup with the movie, but it's not my only issue with the movie. Um, one of my other big issues that I kind of hinted at in the non-spoiler section was the, um, really the resolution of Darbin and how her, her, um, arc ends. So she gets both of the bangles, um, and she uses them. And it's like, it's suddenly, it's like, no, 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 you'll, you'll die if you do that. But before that, before that, like this, this kind of weaves together a little bit. So before, like after the big, the big battle, which I thought was fun, it was very good. It's very stylish, very well done. Uh, the way that the entanglement worked was really good. Um, so when she gets them and she is about to go. One of the things that, like, that Monica and in uh, uh, in Carol, um, I'm sorry, Captain Marvel, uh, say, like, they have a conversation where it's, <laughs> and it's just, it's so, it's funny to me. It's funny because Monica's like, well, well hang on, hang on, uh, Captain Marvel, why don't you just like the sun is dying over there. Why don't you just go and like restart the sun because you're overpowered and everything. And like Captain Marvel has a thing where she's like, I've never done that before. I don't know if I can do that and everything. And I'm like, I'm thinking like, okay, that's interesting. Sure. And then, and then Darbin uses the stuff and then just kills herself. Like it obliterates her. She's gone. She's dead. And I'm like, Oh, Okay. Um, and then it opens up, it opens up a rip in time space or in space time and opens it to another, another universe. 
And then it's up to Monica to go and close it and then get she's sucked into another another universe and everything. That whole thing was annoying to me because that felt that felt so rushed, so sudden, like I felt like there wasn't enough time for us to really understand the stakes of that moment. Like it was pretty clear that like, okay, they're going like, she's going to be, she's going to be trapped on that side of it. And that's going to lead to some big thing in the mid credit scene and everything. So that's, that's fine. That's whatever it's storytelling. But like at like when, when it's just suddenly introduced, I feel like it wasn't introduced well enough. And it's just so sudden that, in order for us to really catch up to what is happening on screen, and by that I mean Monica going out into space to close the close the gap and essentially sacrifice herself for for like to to prevent like an incursion, um, that like that happens so suddenly that while that is happening, we're still catching up. At least I was still catching up to like what the stakes are of what's happening, like what exactly is happening and what it means. And like, because of that, I felt like there wasn't a near enough tension for the moment where Monica is, is trapped over there and sacrifices herself. And it's just such a, like, it's such a hero's death in quotes, cause she's not dead, but uh, like in a hero's end, that's just cliched and silly, maybe not even silly, but it's just, it's cliched and expected rather. And so that didn't work for me really at all. Um, and then uh, one of the most, one of the silliest parts for me was that like, was that the whole, the whole thing where like, that's literally what Captain Marvel ends up doing. She goes and restarts the sun for Hala. And I'm like, you could have done that an hour and 40 minutes ago. You really like just, and I understand that the movie is trying to communicate that she didn't, she didn't have the confidence to do that. Or she didn't, she didn't think she was capable of doing that. And it wasn't until Monica Rambo gave her the, gave her the, um, gave, gave her the knowledge that she could potentially do that or the confidence that she could pull it off because she just watched her friend sacrifice herself to save the multiverse and everything. Um, so now she can do it, but also it's like, you're like the most powerful being in the galaxy. Like you couldn't, like, I feel like it wasn't properly established why Captain Marvel didn't take that into consideration. Um, especially since, and here's the other thing the the other thing that I just realized while, while speaking right now in this moment, um, especially since this same freaking thing was essentially sort of done in uh in end uh yeah in endgame or no no in infinity war with uh thor trying like he had to restart like the cauldron to basically restart a dying star to to create the thing that created um uh stormbreaker like it's just it just feels a little bit rote at this part at this point in in the MCU it's just rote and it's not it's not not really up to snuff for me it it really just doesn't um it it just really didn't work for me and it just felt very silly and and like it felt like an afterthought honestly it felt like it was an afterthought that like okay well you know um we'll go ahead and just have her do that so that they're at least saved and everything so i don't know that that's just something that was that was annoying to me 
Um, the resolution for the whole movie was fine, I guess, overall. Um, I neglected to talk about goose and uh, the goose eggs um, and everything. The stuff on Saber, Saber Station or whatever, was really fun and enjoyable. Um, so we have where Kamala's family or her father is talking to the one guy and uh, he's like, have you thought about like, you know, retirement and your 401k and like Roth IRAs and stuff? And then uh, and then he's like, you know, it's never too early and never too late and everything. And he's like, how old are you? And the guy's just like 307 or whatever number. I was like, that's that's solid. That's really, really good. Um, and then I really, really enjoyed and I kind of cackled a little bit to myself when it was revealed that the solution to evacuate the station was to have all of the Flurgans uh, swallow all of the crew of the station. I thought that was hilarious and, and awesome. I thought that was really, really, really great. So that stuff was really enjoyable and, uh, and entertaining. So let's talk about the end of the movie though. Um, the final scene of the movie I thought was such, such a, such an enjoyable end to the movie with, uh, Kamala, like, uh, appearing at Kate Bishop's, um, (laughs) at her, uh, her place and basically doing her version of Nick Fury's, uh, scene in Iron Man, uh, and saying like, uh, you really thought you were the only kid superhero or whatever. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, very much, um, uh, leading toward like young Avengers or whatever, um, or implying that. And I just, I thought that that was great. I really did. I thought that was fantastic. Um, the mid credit scene, um, the mid credit scene was okay. I feel like it was meant to be a big, like gasp moment, um, with, with Monica waking up in a hospital bed, seeing her mother next to her. Um, and then it being all confused cause she's in another universe. And then, uh, and then, uh, beast. Oh my God. What is his name? Hank, Dr. Hank. Um, yeah. Uh, Hank Scorpio from, uh, the Simpsons. No, I'm vamping here. Um, because he is in the IMDb credits. So if anyone digs too deep, um, uh, they're in for a surprise. Oh my God. Did they take it? Oh no, no, no. That's still there. Hank McCoy. Yeah. As beast. Um, he appears and he just basically says like, Hey, yeah, you know, her vitals are fine or whatever. We're monitor. I don't remember exactly what he said, but like the biggest thing that I was surprised by with that was the fact that they got Kelsey Grammer to reprise his role. Um, because he was beast in the, the, uh, the original X-Men movies. Um, I, cause I kind of feel like I, I, I assume that he was like over it at that point, but um, it was nice to see him in the role again. And I don't know what that means for, I, I don't, I don't know what it means for the X-Men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point. And I don't know if I really care at this point. Um, but also it's a little bit lessened by the fact that we've already seen, um, like he even references Charles Xavier in dialogue there. And like, that's really cool. That's really interesting and everything. But we already saw like Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier in Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. So 
it's not it's not quite like I know that it's it's different because I guess in this in this version it is literally that universe maybe I, I, who knows it's all kind of convoluted anyway but um yeah I don't know it didn't it didn't it didn't reach me in terms of like being a big like oh my god I can't believe what are the implications of this thing it's more like a Okay, cool. Neat. <laughs> Kelsey Grammer got a paycheck. Awesome. Um, so yeah, so it, it didn't really have the impact that I think that the movie expected it to or anticipated it to have on me. Uh, but maybe other people like it. I don't know. We'll see. But I don't know what it means, really. And that's another thing, is that at this point, the MCU in the multiverse saga really, really feels like it is just scratching like it's it's throwing everything at the wall seeing what sticks it's in turmoil with like jonathan major's whole controversy and everything but it also seems to lack a a singular vision for where it is leading and everything so that is the underlying thing through all of these movies and all of the tv shows that i've seen of this phase or this saga and everything so much so that when they introduce something that should be a big event thing or a big like a big like gasp moment like uh Hank McCoy popping up at like Kelsey Grammer popping up as him I feel like okay that is that is something that feels more like fan service than it does with any like than it does feel like any big implications for the future of the MCU. And that's a bummer because I want to be wowed. I want to be surprised. I want to be thinking about like, what does this mean? I want to be like, I want my nerd brain to really be receptive to these big set pieces and things, but I'm just not. So I don't know. There's always, there's always the possibility that, um, that the that the MCU will will kind of come back and, and bring me back into the fold and make me interested in it, but I don't know. It's just it's not really doing it for me these days. So I don't know. At the end of the day, the Marvels is fun. It's it's entertaining. I I liked it, especially the kind of it's a fun sci-fi action comic book movie, which I'm always game for. Um, but it it's not wowing me on like the like MCU fanboy level that I want to be wowed at. So we'll see what happens next in the MCU. But here I think is just more of a solid outing. And, uh, and yeah, so that's my review of the Marvels. Uh, let me know what you thought of this movie and my review and everything. Hope you guys enjoyed this solo review. Um, I haven't done like a long form solo review on obsessive viewer, in a, in a lot, like, I think I've only done this once and that is episode 300. And that wasn't necessarily even a full review and everything. I've obviously I'm no, I'm not, um, I'm very accustomed to, to doing solo things because Patreon and anthology and everything, but this is new. This is interesting. So hopefully you guys are enjoying it. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, we'll kind of go to our next review. Um, so uh, here in this section, I'm going to do a non-spoiler review for the movie Quiz Lady, which is currently streaming on Hulu. And to bring us into that, again, non-spoiler review, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer for Quiz Lady. Yes? Hi, I have some bad news. We lost your mom. What? Sorry, that was terrible phrasing. I meant we don't know where she is. 
Oh, I think your sister's here. Annie, it's finally happened. Oh my god, it's okay. It's okay. I'm here. We're orphans. Oh my god, you're orphan Annie. She's oh not god. dead. She ran away. That bitch. And yum. Your mom owes me 80 grand. When you have it, you'll get your dog back. I don't have any money. You can sell your eggs. I mean, it's not like you're using them. All right, so that was from the trailer for Quiz Lady. Like I said, it is streaming on Hulu right now. And the premise, according to IMDb, is a game show obsessed woman and her estranged sister work together to help cover their mother's gambling debts. Uh, the director for this movie was Jessica Yu. She previously directed episodes of Citadel, This Is Us, and The Morning Show. And writer for this movie was Jen D'Angelo, which, interestingly enough, she is one of the writers for Totally Killer, which is a movie that just came out on Amazon Prime. I think I talked about it in a, in a, in a potpourri section in a previous episode, um, but I definitely did an immediate reaction review on Patreon. And yeah, on Patreon. So anyway... Cast for this movie includes Aquafina, Sandra Oh, Will Ferrell, Jason Schwartzman, and Tony Hale. Um, this is an R-rated comedy that is about, like the plot summary says, these two estranged sisters who uh, work together to uh, to try to get money to um, help uh, cover their mother's gambling debts, and it's it's solid. It's 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 kind of uh it's kind of cute and enjoyable um the energy of it is uh, one of the big things about it that i really liked was aquafina is playing somewhat against type she is this kind of like i like she's proven herself to be a very talented actress um when she plays against like that type that she's usually in, she's usually like this chaotic presence in movies and that whole shtick kind of wore a little bit thin, uh, after a few performances of hers, I can't really think off the top of my head, particularly what ones, but like, it kind of seemed like she was a little bit, she was getting, she was, she was getting dangerously close to being typecast as that kind of chaotic friend in a movie in a comedy movie. So to see a comedy where she is playing a more straight laced, uh, introverted and, um, and, and kind of socially awkward character was very, very refreshing. And she clearly has the range to pull that off. She does a phenomenal job in this movie. I really enjoyed her performance and the chemistry she has with Sandra O oh is really solid. Sandra O oh plays that, um, that kind of chaotic character, uh, um, archetype but not overbearingly so she is she kind of plays uh plays a little bit heightened and a little bit big she's she goes a little bit big with her performance but it's pretty it's it's tailored by a a solid script that knows how to utilize the characters um in in pretty fun ways so uh Sandra O oh, her character I don't have the character names I should it's Anne and Jenny um, I think so. Uh, yeah. So anyway, Sandra O's character has this whole thing where she wants to be, uh, a life coach and she decides to take, uh, Anne, uh, played by Aquafina under her wing to, uh, basically prove that she can be like a life coach and everything. That's not the main point of the, of the, um, of the, of the plot or anything, but that is a significant part of it. And I like that, uh, Sandra O oh plays the character as a, a, as someone who is, 
very um not not adjusted to how people should act i guess like she's very she's very heightened she's very naive i guess um or she's not accustomed to questioning what her what the consequences of her actions are so she does all of these chaotic things like she films aquafina um answering questions while she's watching the quiz show that she watches every day and everything um and that causes like a viral sensation and that is a big thing for the plot to move the plot along and everything um and so there's a lot of kind of chaotic energy by by Sandra O's oh performance as Jenny, but it's some it's stuff that is all in service to uh in her own twisted way um uplifting Anne and and bringing her out of her shell and and helping uh helping kind of create situations or opportunities for Anne to thrive in her life and everything. Um so that's really good. The other the the thing that I that I kind of felt was a little bit lacking with the movie was um the the estrangement of the two characters of of the sisters wasn't quite as estranging as I would have liked it to be and by that I mean that they're estranged in that they haven't talked in a while and they're brought together because the um the uh the nursing nursing home facility that their mother is a resident of calls to tell them like you heard in the trailer calls to tell them that they have misplaced her and i kind of thought that it was going to be like a road trip movie where they are trying to find their mother or whatever that's not the case it's just them trying to get uh ann to philadelphia to be a part of the quiz show that she watches obsessively um every single day and and that's all in an effort to win money to cover their mother's gambling debt because their bookie her bookie has contacted them and threatened them and threatened uh, uh aquafina's dog so that's kind of the basic plot and everything the movie is or at least it feels like it's it's a little bit long in the tooth um it takes a while to get to kind of the the big um the big thing uh, it, it, it kind of takes a while to get to the, um, uh, to, to the, to the, to the big finishing thing of the quiz show aspect of it. it that that's what I was going for. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, it takes a long while to get to that portion of the movie. Once it does get to that, it's pretty, it's pretty entertaining. It is, it is, it pays off really well. Um, and it, yeah, it's it's solid. I don't know how else I can really talk about it in non-spoilers or anything, but um, there's some interesting like um, uh, supporting characters. Uh, Tony Hale plays this proprietor of a Philadelphia um, inn that the sisters uh, are uh, are seeking accommodations in, and it is a Ben Franklin themed um, hotel where Tony Hale is dressed up as Ben Franklin. And like that leads to some pretty fun, like quirky stuff and everything. There is, um, there is reference to Paul Rubens. He's in the cast list, so he makes an appearance in the movie. Um, I will say that uh, from everything I can find, this is his final, his final film role because um, he passed away this year. Um, it was 
it was nice to see him on on film. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, the context is is kind of morbid because of um, because of him having passed away this year. But uh, I won't say any more about that. Jason Schwartzman plays this um, this character who is a regular contestant on the quiz show that Aquafina's character is going uh, to basically going going on to win uh, the money and everything. He is this he's this entertaining kind of like false nice um person <laughs> like like fake nice uh um phony kind of person uh it's 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 fun it's in his wheelhouse it's entertaining and everything and uh and yeah and Will Farrell finally I like I love Will Farrell I think he does a great job as kind of this uh this kind of goofy host of this quiz show and everything and there's some nice uh, kind of tender moments with him later in the movie that I really enjoyed. So overall, um, Quiz Lady is an entertaining movie. I will say this uh, before I get into my overall thoughts. Um, I tweeted this, hope, I'm, I'm, I tweeted this hoping to manifest this uh, in like in Hollywood circles and everything. But basically, this is an R-rated comedy. And my thought is, any time I watch an R-rated comedy from a studio is that all the time they're like, here's what I tweeted. I'm just going to go ahead and read the freaking tweet because I, it's so irritating, but I like, here's what, here's what I tweeted. Um, uh, okay. I wish the trend of having a psychedelic drug trip sequence in any and every R-rated comedy would die out. It's so overplayed that anytime I see it, I just assume it was it was something the studio forced into the production uh, because of some market research data saying it's important. Um, And yeah, that's uh, (laughs) I had the, the reason that I paused here is that I pulled up the tweet and then I saw. Uh, that I had like some some tweets like responses have been hidden and I was like what and so I like did the like show tweet and everything and someone had responded and said yeah I always enjoy psychedelics from Ronnie Mush- Mushrump on Instagram he has the best in the world try it okay <laughs> like whatever that's all right uh Jesus okay anyway so it's clearly like a spam thing but anyway um yeah so uh so yeah so overall i thought that quiz lady was an entertaining r-rated comedy on hulu uh like it's a kind of straight to streaming platform uh movie i don't think it's a waste of time i don't i think you'll like if you like that kind of uh, movie uh you'll enjoy it um it's it's not like over the top quirky but uh the characterization of of Anne and uh her chemistry with Jenny uh the chemistry between Aquafina and Sandra O oh is really solid and uh carries the movie really well so those are my thoughts on Quiz Lady um let me know what you thought of it if you do see it and uh let me know if you're going to see it and everything so uh, that is my review. Um, I am going to go into a quick potpourri section, which if this is your first time listening, potpourri is the section of the episode where we close out things, talking about things that we've watched lately, things that we're looking forward to, uh, anything we want, as long as it smells good. I have a few things that I'm going to bring up kind of rapid fire. Um, a couple of things that I'm not really going to go into much detail about because it's planning for the future, but basically, 
I'm going to go ahead and go into my own little brief potpourri section. So, um, first up for potpourri is <laughs> The Haunting of Hill House. Yes, this show premiered on Netflix five years ago, and my dumbass is finally watching it. Um, it is spectacular. Uh, Mike Flanagan is a master storyteller. He's phenomenal. Um, this show, I'm three episodes in. I'm going to be doing Patreon recordings of re- Patreon reviews starting in January at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. This is my official announcement that I'm going to be doing Flanagan Fridays. So starting the second week of January, I'm going to start reviewing week to week episodes of The Haunting of Hill House. I already have three in the can ready to go and scheduled for posting. So um, anyway, I'm really, really enjoying the show. It is such an intensely creepy, but uh, kind of profound uh, exploration of family dynamics, grief, and uh, what I'm finding is like extrasensory perception stuff. It's really interesting. I, I'm really, really enjoying it. It's it's awesome. So uh, that's all I'll say about it now. But once again, I will be reviewing it on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. So please go sign up and, uh, and check those out when they post in January. Um, second up that I'm going to bring up for potpourri is another thing that I'm going to be talking about on Patreon in January. Um, so, uh, foundation season two on Apple TV plus, um, I reviewed every episode of foundation season one on Patreon, like last year, the year before, um, whenever it aired and I thought it was okay. I think, um, it's been a while. Um, but I had some kind of misgivings with it and everything. It's, um, it's an adaptation of Isaac Asimov's Foundation series, obviously, and it's made by by David S. Goyer, and there is, the farther I got away from season one, the more I just kind of became a little bit, um, a little bit soured towards season one because, specifically because, like, I, I haven't read much Asimov. I've just read iRobot and the first Foundation novel. But what I've read of it, it is like really good. Obviously, it's he's a classic sci-fi writer, but it's really good, like intellectual sci-fi. It's it's sci-fi that really kind of uh, has something to say, and I love that about it. That's my favorite kind of science fiction. Foundation is kind of making it into a sort of blockbustery sort of um, uh, weird, like set piece. Um, blockbuster kind of thing kind of kind of show and it just doesn't really feel like it it really captures what is what was interesting to me at least about the first novel um so that's where i was in season one having watched two episodes of season two of foundation it's not off to a great start um the show jumps ahead significantly in the timeline so it's like a hundred years in the future um, I will commend it that the first episode does give, uh, give like it, it was a while since I had watched season one and there's a good, like, like it, it's good to jump back in in season two. Like I didn't feel like I needed to rewatch season one by any stretch. Um, but it's kind of riddled with cliched sci-fi storytelling, like really like empty, uh, suspense moments and set pieces that 
just in two episodes, there's been like two or three things where it's like, like I was rolling my eyes at how kind of cliched it was. And like, there's like one of the opening scenes of the season is Lee Pace. Who's, he was, uh, like one of the emperors. Um, he, there's an assassination attempt and it's so weird. Like it turns into this goofy choreographed, like, like action, like hand-to-hand combat sequence where he's like naked and he's fighting off all of these assassins and everything. And he's like very, no pun intended, he's very cocky about it. He's very like, he's very over the top. And I'm like, what the hell is Lee Pace doing in this scene? <laughs> like, it is just so over the top and weird. So Foundation season two, the first two episodes have not hooked me. Um, it's, it's, we'll see. But once again, I will be reviewing each episode for better or worse in January uh, and in and, and the early to 2024 because I'm going to be doing weekly things. So where on Fridays, I have Flanagan Fridays uh, starting in 2024 on Saturdays. I'm going to have Sci-Fi Saturday and kicking that off with 10 weeks of me reviewing Foundation week to week. Uh, once again, I already have two posts ready to go and posted and scheduled and everything. So Uh, Those will start coming out in uh, January. So that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Here's the kind of funny thing that I thought, like, here's the thing, a little peek behind the curtain. I am hoping that I'm going to be like, I'm, I'm very motivated right now to, to work harder at getting, getting like all of the podcasts and everything out and, 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 and marketing it and doing social media stuff and everything as much as I can. That's part of the reason why I want to go week to week with obsessive viewer just to get it out there and, and maybe get some, some more listeners and everything and, and, you know, get, get the word out there. Cause I'm really proud of what we do here at all of the obsessive viewer podcasts and on the Patreon and everything. Um, and that's one of my goals for 2024 is to kind of grow and grow the listener base and grow the Patreon feed and grow the Patreon listener base. And here's the thing, <laughs> like having posted, having, having scheduled like six posts for January already, I, here's the thing, like my, my jokey thing that I thought was that I don't know what's going to make people flock to Patreon more. Me reviewing a TV show that came out five years ago, or me reviewing a TV show on Apple TV plus that no one really seems to be watching, (laughs) uh, like half a year after it aired its season. So Uh, I don't know. But anyway, hopefully if you're listening to this, you're interested. If you've listened this far and enjoyed what I'm saying, consider checking out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm going to round out this episode with a final, final part of my Patreon segment. And that is me talking about when evil lurks, which is available to stream on shutter. Um, it is this really, really interesting. I watched it on, I think, Halloween. Um, I did an immediate reaction recording of it as well. Uh, so check that out on Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Uh, sorry, I keep saying that. But anyway, um, When Evil Lurks is a, it's it's a movie, I'll read the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb. In a remote village, two brothers find a demon-infected man just about to give birth to evil itself. They decide to get rid of the body only to end up unintentionally spreading chaos. And my God, this movie blew my mind. It was so, so good. Um, it is such an interesting, um, (laughs) it was such, it was such an, a unique uh, Argentinian. 
It's an Argentinian film. Um, it's such a unique spin on like demon possession movies, which is a which is a um, a subgenre of horror that I've never really been a big fan of. Check out my review of of The Exorcist uh, Believer, um, but this movie was such a unique spin on it. Just like the plague aspect of it. There's like, it feels like this plague effect of demonic possession. And there are like key lines of dialogue throughout it where, um, the characters allude to a massive, like not extinction level event, but like a massive, um, like like a massive plague of demonic possession and how like the government has to step in and how like how like churches and religion have faltered and like died out entirely it's really really unique and the um the set pieces the kind of gruesomeness of it is so like immediately violent but not over the top violent but also unforgiving like it is so bleak and and emotionally affecting that I was just so enraptured by it. It is phenomenal. It might make my top 10 at the end of the year. It is a phenomenal horror movie. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's when evil lurks. It's on shutter. I wrote on letterboxd. I said, very unique and bleak possession, demonic horror movie. The characters make dumb choices, but they're always reactionary and it feeds well into the tension of the movie. Gruesome and unforgiving violence and horror that plays that pays off the overall bleak story storyline well in the end. So those are my thoughts on when evil lurks really, really loved it. Like I said, it's on shutter, uh, for your viewing pleasure. Um, highly, highly recommend it. So that is it. That is it for, um, Patreon or not Patreon. Jesus. Um, (laughs) I've said that word so many times because I'm trying to uh, promote it throughout this episode, but that is it for episode 401 of the Obsessive Viewer podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening this far and for listening, uh, for listening to the show and everything. You can follow me on Letterboxd, uh, Twitter slash X, whatever the hell it's called now, um, Blue Sky and uh, Threads and Instagram, all at Obsessive Viewer. Follow me on TikTok at OV Podcasts. And, uh, and what other social medias are there? I don't know, but follow the Facebook page, facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and, uh, and check out the other shows, uh, tower junkies all about Stephen King. Uh, check that out. Towerjunkiespod.com and anthology, which is my solo, uh, twilight zone podcast. Check out, uh, anthologypod.com. So, uh, that'll do it for this very new and experimental episode of the obsessive viewer, just a solo episode on my part, hopefully I did, uh, I did, I did it justice and hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, let me know what you thought. And, uh, and yeah, once again, final thing for, for, uh, final plug for Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I post a ton of stuff there. Almost 700 posts are on there right now and it's just going to grow. I'm going to be, I'm hitting the ground running, going to be doing a ton of stuff in 2024. Can't wait. So check that out, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. That's it. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon potpourri episodes, 
Go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Is that feeling of hopelessness in terms of um, in terms of being in a being in an impossible situation that you cannot work yourself out of? Like the, it is that kind of just torment of being unable to finesse your way out of a life or death situation. And that's where I think that this story really excels. So let me start off by saying that this story is like the fear of it, the fear, the fear center of it is phenomenal. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.